salvation is the will of God. It's what God has given to a people who cannot rescue themselves. And you have to understand something. You can't rescue yourself. You can't deliver yourself. You can't save yourself. And man has been puzzled by these things throughout the year. That he is always thinking that somehow, some way, he can save himself by setting certain rules before himself. That somehow he can become better than what he is by setting certain heights before him. That man somehow believes that he somehow is the God of his own life without really questioning the things that he sees and even his own reasoning and understanding. You have to question your own thought life. You have to really question what you believe. Because what you believe will dictate how you will live. Salvation is of God. If it's not of God, you are left to your own ability to save yourself or deliver yourself from the crisis of life. And salvation simply means one who rescues you from the crisis or from, eventually, the wrath of God. That's all that it means. The church cannot save you. And in this day and age in which we live, people have equated salvation with church. Only thing the church can do is give the invitation that God himself has given. But the church cannot save you. The church itself has not the ability to save you. It can only offer the invitation that has been given to you by God to come unto him and to receive the salvation that he has planned for you in Jesus Christ. That's all the church is capable of doing. Now, everybody will say they have faith. And all men and all people do have faith. But faith is just another way of also saying I'm a positive thinker. I'm a positive thinker. You ever hear, hear people talk about, I don't want no negativeness around me? Well, if you take a magnet, you have a positive and a negative. You always will have a positive and a negative. Even in our coins, we have what we call a heads and a tail. And what we're saying, there's a positive and there's a negative, just the opposite. And that's all positive and ne negative is. It's just the opposite of the other. Faith in faith just allows you to think very positively 
about everything. But just because you're thinking positively about something does not mean it will turn out how positively for you or in your favor. But faith in Jesus is salvation. Faith in Jesus is salvation. It is not just faith in faith. It's faith in a person who can deliver you or guide you through whatever the crisis might be. Now, understand this simple little thing. And I think this is rich here in which you and I have to truly grasp hold of. God didn't spare his own son from the cross. Now think about that. God did not spare his own son from dying. He didn't spare his own son from being beaten by that which he created. He didn't spare his own son from being spit upon by his creation. God did not spare his son that we might have salvation because salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Catch that. Salvation and salvation alone comes through Jesus Christ. Salvation doesn't come alone from intellect. It doesn't come from being good. It doesn't come from some place that you're making yourself better and acceptable to God because we can do nothing to make ourselves acceptable to God. We need to understand that. We can't even make ourselves better. And if God didn't spare his own son from the cross, what makes you think he will spare you from rejecting his word that is able to save and change your life for which Jesus died for? Understand that principle. Why would you think God would spare you when you reject his word and his word is what's going to bring you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, for faith cometh by hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. And if you reject it, why would you think God would save you and you reject his word and what he's given to you? And there's a lot of so-called Christians today who in one hand say, I've accepted Jesus, but rejects all that he teaches. And how do you know they reject it? Because they don't live it. They don't live it. The main issue of teaching and reason God teach us is because he knows we don't know how to live pleasing in his sight or upright in his sight, or understand that we are able to live in a way that represents him as our father and reveals us as his children. When you live for God, 
and you live according to the word, you demonstrate, and you don't have to go around saying, I'm a born-again Christian, I'm sanctified, I'm this, I'm that. You don't have to go around giving your own declaration. Your life within itself will declare that you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. If God didn't spare his own son from the cross, what makes you think he will spare you from rejecting his word that is able to save and change your life for which Christ died for? For which Christ died for? Now, Paul warns us and he warns Timothy about the thinking of men. The thinking of men always, in some ways, will challenge God. Now, understand this. There's nothing wrong with challenging. People say, well, I shouldn't question God. Yes, I shouldn't. I should question him. But understand this. God don't always have to answer me. But in many cases, God will answer Not so much answering your question, but as revealing to you that he is. Which then in turn answers the question. Because what you and I have to be able to do above all else is to believe God is. And if we believe that he is, Everything else becomes secondary. Even the areas, I don't want to say doubt, but areas I don't understand. I believe then by faith without human reasoning behind it. Go to 1 Timothy with me. 1 Timothy 1.15. There is this thing that Paul puts before Timothy because he knows it's going to come up. And I want you to somewhat in that verse with me follow Paul's thinking. Because this is where man is. And whenever you're dealing with man... You're always going to deal with the question, is this true? Is this true? I'm going to say it again, and you're going to hear it again. Until you come to the end of yourself, you won't find the beginning of Jesus. Until you come to an end of yourself, you will not discover the beginning life with Jesus. And Paul warns here in that verse 15, he says, here is a trustworthy saying, 
that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That Christ Jesus did what? He came into the world to save sinners. He says it's a trustworthy statement. It's a faithful statement. It's something you can believe. Now, you can't understand it. Because, see, when you begin to try to even understand the virgin birth of Jesus, that rattles our mind. Mary got pregnant without a man? That somehow this person called the Holy Spirit just dumped him into her womb? Now, uh, understand something. Nobody, nobody, can really explain to you how that happened. Nobody. And from that position, all you can do is take it by faith. But as long as you struggle with that question, how did that happen? How did that happen? You won't go any further. But once you settle it, that somehow God did that, you can move forward. Because you have to settle some things within yourself, but the only way they're settled is through faith. And people will challenge your faith and your statement and what you believe. And that's okay. Because it hasn't happened to them. It hasn't happened to them. Faith is something God grants us beyond normal faith. It's the faith as with Peter to step out into something that you know is totally obsolete and you can't do it. But it took faith for Peter to put that first step out on the water. That's an impossibility. Man don't walk on. But if God bids you out there, can you? That becomes the question. If God bids you out to walk on the water, can you? And that's the troubleness that we have with our faith. And that's why people sometimes will say, yes, I believe, but they don't act on what they believe because they don't have the faith in what they're believing in order to put the action out there. And he says, boy, what is said here is deserving and is worthy of acceptance. That Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. You can believe that. It's worthy to believe. It's trustworthy to believe. And yet, we doubt it. We doubt it. And men are always trying to oppose it. And what Paul is saying to Timothy, you're going to have those who are going to oppose this statement. And they're not going to see it trustworthy. 
they're not going to see it as something that is faithful. Why? Because this is something God has to perform in each person. God has to do it. God has to do it. And some people use, oh, okay, I grant you, God came to make us better. God came to improve society. God came, no. Jesus came for one purpose and one purpose only, to save sinners. Not to make us better, but to save us. To save us. Not to cure all the woes of society, but to save us. The programs that the church may sponsor and the things that the church may do, they only are put in place to be something that attracts people to it, that brings people to it, that they might hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something to make people better because if you really understand scripture, you don't make people better. It's the issue of bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he says, this is a trustworthy statement. And it deserves all your attention. It deserves it. It's worthy of acceptance. And it deserves you giving attention and focusing on it. Because if you focus on it, it will change your life. If you really focus on it, it will bring around deep thought about the love of God on your behalf. And you'll really see how much God loves you if you really give it much He says, it's deserving and is worthy of our acceptance. And a lot of people don't accept it. A lot of people do not accept that Jesus Christ came into this world. And a lot of it becomes because of ignorance. A friend of mine used to argue that if I was born in Saudi Arabia, most likely I would be Muslim. I said, if you take the record today, you're right. That's true. But if you go back hundreds of years, you will find that Jesus Christ had already been there. Remember about a year ago, the news broadcast how Muslims were tearing down old churches, anything of Christianity, they were destroying it because they want to destroy the very evidence that said Christianity was there before Islam. I don't care where you go. You will discover Christ has already been taught there, but there's been a rejection. The last ones of that, boy, you go to Germany, you will find some fantastic churches. But Germany rejected Jesus Christ. You go to England, you will find some tremendous churches 
and England has about 3% believers. If you check historically, Christianity is one of the oldest religions, and the only thing that's really older than it is the Jewish faith. Because Christianity flows out of where? The Jewish faith. And there were many other gods, there were many other religions. But when you check Old Testament religions, where are they? They have faded away. They no longer exist. Now, there are thousands of new gods today. There are thousands. And we need to understand that man keeps trying to create something else that is an error or against Christianity. And that's what Paul's talking about. That this is a trustworthy, a faithful statement that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. But if Satan can erode that, if Satan can put a doubt in your mind, if Satan can bring something else alongside and really challenges that, that causes us to struggle. And people have to come to a place where they're going to trust in what they say they truly believe. Are you there yet? Are you there yet? Are you really trusting in what you say you believe? Well, Jesus says in Matthew, My mouth can say, Lord, 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 Lord. And yet my heart and my life can be where? Far from you. That I'm not living what I said I believe. Now, Christ came into this world to save sinners. That's puzzling to people. Mean to tell me there's only one way to be saved? Well, Acts 4.12 says there's one name given unto heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. Now either God is telling the lie or he's telling the truth. Now some people will argue that, well, somebody just put that in there to deceive you. And that scripture is just written by man. And they just want to trick you. And sometimes as Christians, when we're witnessing the people, you have to understand. People are thinking, oh, you just want me to believe what you believe. I don't want you to believe what I believe. I want you to believe what the Word says. Take me totally out the picture. Then deal with If this is truth, don't deal with if I'm telling you the truth. Be a Berean and go search it out for who? For yourself to see if it's true. Sometimes I share with people, why don't you try it for six months? 
For if the world can say, hey, we'll give you a guarantee. Try it for this long. If you don't like it, turn it back in. Well, try God for six months. If you don't like it, turn him back in. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And many will not accept such a statement about Jesus. We'll allow our intellect and our reasoning and our rationale to destroy that. And we'll come up, quote unquote, with something else. Why? Man is made to worship something. Man is made to acknowledge that there's something greater than himself. And what often happens with an agnostic is this. An agnostic will only say this. Yes, there is a God, but I can't know who he is. An atheist just simply says there is no God. But an agnostic says, yes, there's a God, but I can't know who he is. There's no real basis of truth to really know that he exists. Well, God says, nature itself says that he is. Now, the attention is called to the fact that unbelievers, as the statements seem to be, the words are true. You may not want to accept that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, but that's a true statement. Now, you may not want to accept that truth. And if you don't accept it, and you reject it, you may not be judged right now for it. But it says the word itself will judge you. And it is the word that is saying that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And one day you're going to stand before the God of all gods. And you have to answer. The problem is, it's too late. But he's already said, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Now, you may not do it on this side of heaven. But believe me, before you are cast into hell, you're going to confess it. (laughs) You're going to confess it. Now, they are God's own words. And the thing you have to ask is this. Is Scripture God's word? Or is scripture man's words? Are the words of the Bible inspired or not inspired? And what we mean by inspired, man didn't just come up with this thought on his own. But in some way, God influenced men in their writings. Again now, I can't explain that. So you'll hear a lot of, especially African-Americans, That's just a white man's religion. That's a falsehood. For God made all people from one blood. (laughs) 
isn't it strange? You can interchange the blood of a black man with a white man <laughs> or with a Chinese or with a Russian because it all comes from where? One God. And his words, they're worthy of our attention. But more than that, do you have confidence in God's word? Isn't it strange how parents expect children to have confidence in their word? That if I say it, you are to what? Do it. And if I tell you not to do it, you should have confidence what? Not to do it. But isn't it strange when we get adults and God says, don't do it? What do we do? (laughs) Go do it. (laughs) But yet he's our heavenly father. He's our parent. But we demonstrate so often to our children not to listen to us because we don't listen to him. But we have confidence in it. People will always question. And they will discover there is not always an answer to their question. Does the Bible answer everything? No. But does the Bible direct you to the God who is able to answer everything? Then the question comes, will he answer me in the manner in which I want him to answer? Catch that? Because oftentimes when we're praying, we're like the child who goes to ask parents for permission, but we're not expecting to hear what? And when we hear the no, it kind of what in us? rather than being a people who can accept the no. And one thing that all of us need to understand, no is part of life. Even when you become an adult, no. My wife knows how to say no. I know how to say no. God says, let your yea be what? And your no, no. That's your truthfulness. Yes, no. That's your honesty. That's your integrity. And God's integrity is on the line. His honesty is on the line. For he is a God that will not lie. So if he will not lie, is he telling me the truth? And we have to determine that. We have to say, yes, the Bible is true or the Bible is not true. Scripture is either true or false. It's one or the other. It can't be both. It's either true 
or it's false. And people will always question and they will discover there is not always the answer that they want to their question. And when there is no answer, there is where faith begins. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith believing him that he will do us no harm. That he will not hurt us or lead us in paths that will destroy us. But we have a profound confidence in God. Go to Hebrews 11.6. Because Hebrews somewhat in that chapter 11 verse 6. And many of you already know it. But it makes it very profound for us. If you do not believe in God, you're not going to trust the scriptures. But if you believe in God, by faith you accept the scriptures, but then you also by faith begin to live out the scriptures that show forth the evidence in your life that you are believing and trusting in God. So in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, He says, get these off for a moment. These bifocals can get in the way. Let me get this in. And without faith, it is impossible. It's what? It's impossible. Without faith, you cannot begin to believe Scripture. Without faith, you cannot begin to believe that statement that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. It is by faith that you accept him, that he died and he arose for you, and that you can be saved through his name. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he what? He exists. You've got to believe that he exists. Now understand this. When's the last time you've seen God? When's the last time you saw God moving around in your home? When's the last time you've seen God walking down the street? See, I can't take you and show you in a sense God. I can't do that. I have not seen him with my own eyes. But that doesn't mean I haven't seen him. Because what I've seen is the work of God in my life. What I've seen is God working in the life of others. What I've seen is exactly what God says. If you humble yourself under his mighty hand, he will exalt you in due time. What I have seen is God's word at work in my life, my wife's life, in the life of my children, and in the life of others. I've seen his word manifested in their life. 
Now, I haven't seen another book that they've read that really put power in their life. But the Word of God somehow does. Because it is called the Word of Life. It gives you life. What kind of life? The life of Jesus. The life that is pleasing unto God. It gives you life. Go over there to Job with me. Because God never answer Job's question. But what God does, he questions Job. And that becomes kind of comical in its own form. Because Job just wants to be able to plead his case before God. Because all these things have happened to Job. And Job says, I want an audience with God. I want to let him know I've been upright. I want to let him know I haven't sinned. I want to let him know of a little bit of peace of my mind. I got something to say to God. In chapter 38, look at verse 3. Verse 1, let's just start at verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel? You mean tell me, man thinks he's wiser than who? And that's what man thinks. If God would just listen to me, how many of you sometimes when you pray, you tell God exactly what you want him to do? You can't solve your own problem, but you're going to tell him how to do it. (laughs) Isn't that something? And God said, who is this man that darkens my door that's going to give me counsel now about what I do? And he says to Job, brace yourself. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. What did God just do? He kind of flipped it, didn't he? God, no, I, I want to question you. And God said, no, I'm going to question you. Now, you're going to answer me. So God simply says, where were you? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand it. As much information as science has, they can't really tell us how this world was really created. They take some good guesses. Job said, God spoke and hung the world out on nothing. Remember last week when we shared there was no heaven and no earth, but God existed? Do you understand this principle? Only God survives in nothingness. Man cannot survive in. Take away air, what happens to man? Take away water, what happens to man? Take away food, what happens to man? Take away shelter, what happens to man? 
man has to have something to survive. God can live in nothingness, and that puzzles us. Therefore, we want to know what was the beginning of God? Who made God? And if that question was asked, was answered, who made God? What's our next answer? Who made the one who what? And it never stops. And he says, Job, where were you? Go over to chapter 40. The Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? So we're going to correct God's actions. We're going to correct what God does. We're going to make a better plan than what God has come up with. Let him who accused God answer him. Now understand, that's one of the things that men do. We accuse God. But understand this. God doesn't have to defend himself. One of the things we have to understand when we talk about God to unbelievers, we do not have to defend the actions of God, for they are the actions of God. Either they are believable or they're not. I don't have to defend them. And he says, Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I don't understand this, so how can I answer it? I can't answer how the world was formed. I can't answer how you put the stars up there. I can't answer how you made the sun. I can't answer how you put the moon. I can't answer how you separated night from day. I can't answer these things. I have no understanding of them. But I see their what? Their existence. And he says, I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my Justice, understand something. The only way man can do away with believing scripture is that they have to discredit the existence of God and Jesus Christ. They have to tear that down. They have to destroy it in order not to believe it. They have to give an excuse this was written by men or this was written for this purpose or that purpose. They have to discredit the truth of it and the real validity of it. And therefore, the Bible is not God's word. It's just written by man. It's a historical book. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Hold on to that thought. You will condemn me in order to do what? Justify yourself. Farewell to God. Charles Templeton, 
my reason for rejecting the Christian faith. He was one of the men who was the founder of Youth to Christ. Very close friend to Billy Graham. He led countless others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He spoke to audience of 20,000 and more. But because he could not get answers to certain questions, he walked away from 22 years of serving the Lord. Let me just read just a little bit because I think it's for understanding. I think we need to have clarity on some things sometimes. Early that summer, I flew to Montreal, North Carolina to spend a day with Billy and Ruth Graham. Billy and I had become close friends, although our backgrounds were radically different. Billy was a country boy raised in a deep religious household on a farm in the American South. He had graduated from Bob Jones College in Tennessee and Wheaton College in Illinois, both Christian fundamentalist schools. And he says later on about this, that Billy Graham only became a product of his environment. He became a product of his environment. Just because you grow up in a Christian home does not mean you will be a Christian. And he says, later that summer, just before I enrolled at Princeton, we met again in New York. On this occasion, we spent the better part of two days closet in a room in the Taft Hotel. All of our differences came to a head in a discussion which better than anything I know explains Billy Graham and his phenomenal success as an adventurer. In the course of our conversation, I said, but Billy, it's simply not possible any longer to believe, for instance, the biblical account of creation. The world wasn't created over a period of days, a few thousand years ago. It has evolved over millions of years. It's not a matter of speculation. It's a demonstration of facts. At that point, the individual is saying, I will believe science over what? Over God's word. I don't accept that, Billy said. And there are reputable scholars who don't. Who are these scholars, I said? Men in, cons- in conservative Christian colleges. Most of them, yes, he said. But that's not the point. I believe the Genesis account of creation because it's in the Bible. Catch what Billy Graham said? I believe it because it's in the Bible. I discovered something in my ministry. When I take the Bible literally, when I proclaim it as the word of God, my preaching has power. When I stand on the platform and say, God says, or the Bible says, the Holy Spirit uses me, there are results. Wiser men than you and I have been arguing questions like this for centuries. I don't have the time 
or the intellect to examine all sides of each theological dispute. So I've decided once and for all to stop questioning and accept the Bible as God's word. Do you hear that? At some point, you have to stop the arguing. And by faith, you accept God's word. By faith, you accept God's word. He says, I protested. You can't do that. You don't dare stop thinking. It doesn't mean that you stop thinking because you believe something. By faith, when you believe something, it's settled for you. That somehow God did this, but I don't understand this. But God is doing it. God did it. I don't understand how he did it. I can't even put it together. How many of you men sit down at your dinner table and eat a wonderful meal and don't understand how they put the right seasoning in it, the right ingredients in it, to make it taste so good. But you just what? Oh, you know, maybe an ounce of poisoning in there. (laughs) But you are eating by what? (laughs) Catch it? (laughs) Yeah. And you're saying along the way how good it is. By faith, when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ and you walk with him, you begin to say how good it is. To discredit scripture or the Bible, you have to tear down the credibility and the existence of God and Jesus. Now, people do not want to see their own lostness. And we need to understand that. When people don't want to accept that they are sinful and that they are sinners, they have to attack that which says, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. They have to disagree with it because in their own mind they're saying, I'm not a sinner. I don't need a Savior. And this is where Christianity is today. I don't need nobody to tell me how to live my life. That's where Christianity is at. And the Word of God is for that purpose. To direct us how to live our lives, pleasing unto God. But if I'm not willing to accept my wrongness in life, if I'm not willing to see what I do is contrary to God's word, I will not see myself as a sinner in need of a Savior. I will only see myself doing what pleases me and what I want to do, not understanding that God has a path for me to follow, but I am going to rebel and do my thing. 
Sin is only a transition of God's word. I'm not going to acknowledge God's word. I'm not going to follow God's word. And the only way you can come to that conclusion, if you're saying in your mind, God really doesn't exist. It's like a stop sign that says stop in the middle of the night and you're out in the country and nobody else is out there. And you got to say to yourself, I have a right to go right on through that stop sign and I'm going to go through it 60 miles an hour and away I go. And you're hoping no police is hiding behind a tree or behind the curve or behind something. You're hoping that there's no law that will be enforced upon you. And when you say there is no God, what you said, I'm going to do my thing and go as fast as I want, the way I want, and how I want. Because there's nobody to enforce this law. And God enforces. Sooner or later, we get caught, don't we? We get caught. And people want to see. People, they don't want to see their lost condition and their need for a Savior. And this is the real thing, the truth about their own life. Because God shows us who we are and what we are. God shows us our rebellion. God shows us in our own sin. and what we are and why we need a sinner, why we need a savior, why we need somebody to direct our paths. Now the testimony of the word of God itself is simply this. God needs nothing. Go with me to Acts 17. Because, see, you and I need to understand that. We're not doing God a favor by coming to church. We're not doing God a favor by serving him. Uh, We're not helping God out by being a witness to him. We're, We're not doing something as we serve God as something that, boy, God should really like me for what I'm doing on his behalf. God needs nothing from us. God doesn't even need our lousy praise because he has angels who see him and they really give him praise. I like it the way E.V. Hill says. Every time they come up, they see something different about God and they go right back down to give him praise and glory and when they come back up, they see something else. They're always bowing and worshiping him because, boy, he blows in the sense, as we say, he blows our mind. Because he is that great and wonderful God. In Acts 17, start with me in verse 24 through 26. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built where? By man. And he is 
not served. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. You couldn't even make a robe for God. Why would he take your old cheaply earthly robe with what he could clothe himself in heaven with? And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life, breath, and everything else. He gives. From one man he made every nation. Oh, Lord, Lord, that's impossible. That's impossible. Sometime I just take my dad. And in the lifetime of my dad, not counting his 12 his 14 children. He had over 160 grandchildren and great-grand. Just in his one 97 years of living. And there were still others we didn't know. His great-great-granddaughter would walk past the house every day going to see her mother over in Saferstein Towers. And they would wave each other and say hi to each other. But he didn't know that was his great-great-granddaughter. And my sister was out one day, and, and many just said hi to her and started talking to her. And my sister discovered that was my brother Coy's David child, my dad's grandchild, David, by my brother, Coy, my oldest brother, that that was his child. And that she was going over to see David's first wife that lived at Saferstein Towers. And guess what? She's pushing the stroller with her child that would make my dad great-great and if that can happen with my dad you mean to tell me this can't happen with Adam or with Noah and his family after God had wiped everything that one family Noah and his family we all in a sense come from and prior to that we all came from Adam if that came just from my dad God is more than able. And God doesn't need anything from us. My brother Leonard used to say, but anytime I would ask him, Leonard, give to the church. Give me a, a hundred or something for the church. He'll go and give it to me, but he'll always remind me. Well, this is for man. This ain't for God because God don't need anything. See, God don't need no money. See, well, that's how we function down here. See, you're right. 
God doesn't need it because God do have people who will provide for his kingdom. Man, I just want you to have a little joy of giving. Man, the, the whole process, God doesn't need it. Go to John 3, 27. Well, John simply says, boy, man can have nothing without God giving it to him. God, you mean tell me I can't have nothing unless you allowed it and you granted it? What makes America so much different than the rest of the world? I want you to do something for yourself. Check all the third world countries or countries that are bankrupt, people living in whatever they can live in. Just check, even India. With all their gods, you think they would be living very well. And then put America alongside of them and understand, yes, America is not as old as India. America is not as old as many of these other countries. But you have to ask this question. What makes America so wealthy and so great and the provisions that we have in this country compared to many other places in the world? And if you do the historical study, you will discover one thing that makes America great is what it believes in. Not the ingenuity of man, not the intelligence and smartness of man, but the one in whom they believe have blessed abundantly that this country might be a spearhead in sharing the gospel throughout the world. Go to James 1.17, no sake of time. Boy, he says every good and perfect thing comes from where? From God. Every good and perfect thing comes down from heaven to God, to his people. Now, I'm kind of like jumping over these so we can hit these others. We can go no further, and I want you to understand something. You can go no further in explaining God than what Scripture allows you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Because sometimes we try to go beyond Scripture. Sometimes we're trying to really make God something that Scripture doesn't define him as. And yet we need to be also careful that we stay within the boundaries of Scripture in sharing our faith and our belief in God. Yes, he's a wonderful God, but how do you explain that? Yes, he is a mighty counselor. How do you really explain that to somebody who doesn't believe? How do you explain that when, when, when you're up at night worried about something, but you're talking to the Lord, that all of a sudden you get an answer dropped in? And then you can go on off to sleep. How do you explain to somebody, this was my crisis, this is my problem, this is my struggle, and boy, and I'm going through this, God orders my steps that I can walk through it. How do you explain that to an unbeliever? They will hear you, but often we describe that, well, you were lucky. We have a way of explaining it away. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, somebody just came along and helped you. 
wasn't that God sent them. Somebody just came along and helped you. We find ways of explaining away God's intervention into our lives. And 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look what Paul says there. Go to verse 6. He says, Now brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos, two evangelists. One's an apostle. And Paul says, I've applied these things to myself. For your benefit, so that you may learn from us. Now, there's only so much I can teach you. If any man, any pastor, any teacher is true, there's only so far they can carry you. There's only so much that they can say. And every pastor needs to say it over and over and over again. The true teacher is the Holy Spirit, not the pastor, not the Sunday school teacher, not this teacher or that teacher. The true teacher, when it comes to Scripture, is the Holy Spirit. He teaches. And Paul says, yeah, I can only take you so far in your learning. You may learn from us, the meaning of the same. Look what he says now. Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. If you stay within the boundary of scripture, it locks us in. This is as far as I can go. This is what scripture says about God. He uses the word us. He uses the word we. Who is he referring to? He's referring to God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit. Now I can use the illustration of what makes an egg, the yolk, the white, the shell. I can use the apple, the skin, the meat, the core. I can use all those as illustration. And they might give a little light on, but I can't really explain the Trinity. And yet, that's what makes up God. And he says, I go no further than what is written. And as Christians... We need to stay with Scripture, not our own imaginations. But exactly what the Word says. And we go no further. Go to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. And verse 105. One o five. Listen to what he says. The word is a lamp to my feet. In other words, it's one of the ways that God does what? He guides me. When I have light, I'm not stumbling about. When I have light, I'm able to miss the, the holes and the entrapments that Satan may lay for me. 
And he says, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. That God himself guides me. How does he do it? Through his word. Through his word. In 2 Timothy 3.16, run over there with me. 2 Timothy 3.16, because he gives me a little bit more about the word now. And, and the thing is, is that I have to understand it doesn't come from man. And, and he's going to tell me the purpose of his word. In 3.16, he simply says, All scripture is God-breathed. Do you believe that? That all scripture is God-breathed. It's not made up by man. Is God inspired and is useful? What's the purpose of Scripture? Is useful for teaching. As adults, we hate to be taught. Teaching will always correct us. I'm 21. What that mean? And all of us have had children who have become adults and very quickly at some point you will hear, I'm an adult. Gus going to come in the house at a certain such a time and he didn't graduate and so forth, but he's still in my house. We go to bed at such and such a time and I don't want to be woke up by you coming in. Now you're right. You're, in a, you're a grown man. But a grown man go out and get his own apartment, get his own house, get his own thing, and he don't have to disturb me. It's just that simple. Now, I love you being here, but you ask any of my kids, the rules didn't change. <laughs> because the rules govern me, Elaine, all of us. Elaine expects me home by a certain time. I expect her in by a certain time. And we expect everyone else in by a certain time. Because after a certain time, they're not there. And he says, boy, it's been given for instruction and teaching. Rebuking. Rebuking is simply saying, you're wrong. Who are you to tell me I'm wrong? Well, look at your old messed up life. If there was some rightness in it, you'd be doing a whole lot better. But you're wrong. Correcting and training in what? In righteousness. How to live in righteousness. So that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's a reason for this teaching. There's a reason for us to believe scripture. Go over to Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Above all you must understand. He says you must understand this. 
Because if you don't understand this, you're going to think it away. And he says, you must understand this if you're going to really believe Scripture. You have to understand this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Man just didn't write this stuff down. Man just didn't come up with this. Man didn't write these books all these years and somehow they blend together and they speak of one person. You got all these different authors and yet somehow they blend together. And you got years between books and yet they blend together. One mind wouldn't think like another mind unless there's one mind doing the directing of both. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. Man didn't come up with scripture. This did not start with man. It started out of the love of God for us that we might know his will. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried or inspired along by the Holy Spirit. Not from man. And until you and I come to an end of ourself, or until you come to an end of you, you won't come to the beginning of him. And when you become where you are willing to begin with him, you're going to have to agree with him that you're going to walk by faith and not by sight. And he will give you the faith to walk with him. Knowing you can't answer all the questions that might come to mind. You may not, you may not be able to answer every man and woman that asks you the question. And yes, Peter tells her, be ready to give an answer to everyone that has this hope. That they see this hope in you. Be ready to give them an answer. I can't answer every question for you. God can if you get with him because what he does sometimes is not answer the question. He gives you the faith just to believe it. But until you come to the end of you, you won't come to a beginning point with him. And understand this principle. Adrian Rogers, Baptist minister in Tennessee. I read a lot of his books. He's good. A love worth finding. We cannot receive what he gives unless 
we receive who he is. Do you know who you truly believe in? And do you have the confidence that he is more than able to keep you, to save you to the uttermost? Do you really know who you believe or are you hoping that he's existing? Or do you really, truly believe? Closing with this, and I hope it gives you thought. We need to know who and what we have chosen. And that's exactly what it is. What you have chosen to believe. The type of life you live depends on what you believe. The type of life you will live depends on what you truly believe. Let me illustrate by closing with this. And you're closing three times. We are getting there. If I believe that God will provide all that I have need of, And if I believe I'm a steward of his funds, I won't be wasting his funds in the lottery. Will the lottery send me to hell? No. But the lottery will rob you from depending on him. Because you have put your hope into something else to satisfy your needs and your wants rather than Remember what I said before? Men come up with ways to rob from us the ability to believe and trust God. That's just one of the ways in which Satan has introduced into his world to rob our confidence that God will provide all that I have need of. Amen? Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. But Lord, your word is something that we struggle with. Our salvation, Lord, for many people, they struggle with it. And I pray that you would bring us to a point that, Lord, that's no longer a struggle. That's no longer an issue. But we truly believe that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And I understand that I am one of those sinners that he saved. And I am saved, wonderfully saved. I can't explain it, how the God of this universe comes and lives in my life. I can't explain it. How he enters in. And I have no cut, no bruises, no nothing to really show on my body where he may have entered in. Well, I can show you the needle points where they went in to get blood. <laughs> I got scars from where they went in to get blood. 